we're looking forward to the dedication of a precious, precious boy. And we're glad for all the family members that are here for this special occasion and for them. There is a reception downstairs once all of this is over. And so we invite all of the family to uh, stick around and let us treat you today on this very, very special occasion. Um, also do want to uh, just ask everyone to continue in prayer, Brother Nelson mentioned those that are sick, and there are others. I know the Carvers, uh, last time we had talked to them, they were still not well, and just a lot of lot of folks. We got some that are out of town, and and uh, we're uh, we're glad for those that are listening online today. Appreciate them doing that as well. It's good to see Brother Sister Mays back in Kansas City again and glad to have them in service and uh, I asked him this morning if he would preach for us on Tuesday night and so I'm looking forward to that he has graciously agreed I um, I also would like for the church to be in prayer for uh, brother Stewart and myself uh, tomorrow tomorrow morning at five o'clock we begin teaching uh, and it, it looks like we're going to have a huge crowd. We're actually adding another country to the, to the list of those that we are teaching, um, the African pastors that have been converted to truth. And we begin 5 o'clock tomorrow morning. And um, we'll be doing that for a couple of days. And, and uh, so that means I'll be up about 3 each morning. And we got church tonight, so it's going to be very few hours sleep tonight. We'll be teaching for several hours tomorrow and uh, repeat the process, start again Tuesday. And and so I appreciate Brother Mays being willing to step in Tuesday night, give me a little bit of relief there. And uh, I promise you, Brother Mays, I'll do my best to not fall asleep. Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, in fact, I'll put forth a bet. No, I'm not going to say that. Um, um, I'll put forth a better effort than Eutychus did. How's that? We'll, we'll, we'll leave it that way. And uh, um, I don't want to. I don't want to make any enemies here this morning by pointing anybody out that would fall asleep while I was preaching. So we'll leave that alone. Hallelujah! Praise God. I want you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 17. And you know, it has always been uh, for me as long as I've been pastoring, which is. A long time now. Um, I started pastoring at the age of 24, and here I am, 60 now, and so it has it has been uh, well over half my life at this point that I've been pastoring, and it's it's been my uh, custom that when the Lord would allow me to, that I've tried to. Uh, on a day when we are dedicating a baby, I've tried to preach or teach uh, something along the lines of family, something that um, was uh, connected to the event that we were celebrating. And yesterday morning, the Lord uh, put something on my heart really early yesterday morning. And I spent a number of hours working on it, putting it together. And I'm going to tell you this, that 
I know that as I get into this, you're going to be wondering how in the world does this connect to a baby dedication. Um, but I'm going to try to do it before I'm done, all right? I'm going to try to do it before I'm done. And, uh, but I really felt this very strongly, very strongly yesterday. And uh, unusual message, don't know that I've ever preached anything like it. And again, it's probably be a good bit of teaching involved, but that's just who I am. And um, so get ready for a little of both here today. Um, Acts chapter 17, and it's a lengthy text. Uh, I did that in hopes of not having to come back and, and retell a lot of the story, but uh, you know what they say about the best laid plans of mice and men. So Acts chapter 17, and we are going to begin with verse number 16. Please bear with me as we read. Uh, Acts 17 and verse 16 says, Now while, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. That's an interesting statement. I, don't want, I, just, I just want to make sure you notice it. They, they spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, 
as certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. It's a long reading. I, I understand that. I, I do want you to look one more time at what is said in verse 21 about those who dwelt in the city of Athens. Uh, Verse 21 says, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. I'm going to preach to you today on this thought. Rejecting the new normal. Rejecting the new normal. Now, I'm going to try to tie this in, Brother Self, to a baby dedication before we're done. But uh, I'm not, no, seriously, it's not going to take a whole lot of trying because the real core of what I want to say today is very closely related to what we are going to do before this service is over. I do want you... Uh, all to just take a moment, put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices. We need the help of God today. I want God to help me today. Got a burden on my heart and I want God to help me to deliver it. Let's talk to the Lord together. I'm asking God of heaven. I'm I'm nothing. I'm nobody. God, I surrender myself to you totally. I pray, God, speak, O Lord, through your servant today. God, give ears to this people that they may hear what the Spirit says. God, we thank you, Lord. We praise you today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, would you take a moment and worship the Lord before you're seated right now? Everybody, would you just lift your hands? Give God some praise for just just a moment more today. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I've got to lay a bit of a foundation today, and um, so I'm asking that you would Grant me a little time to move perhaps a little more slowly than usual, but I don't want to move so slow that uh, it puts you to sleep. So, the the Apostle Paul, obviously, in our text, is, is in the city of Athens, Greece, and he had arrived there because of a number of circumstances that had taken place. He and Silas had gone into the city of Thessalonica and uh, had preached Jesus as was his custom. And 
The, the uh, Thessalonians were not too happy with the message he was preaching, especially the Jews. Uh, they didn't like what he was saying, and uh, there was quite a commotion that was created there, and uh, uh, they, they did what they could to uh, try to attack this man and anyone who was standing with him, and, and uh, there were those there that delivered them out of the hands of their attackers and then uh, got them out of the city under cover of night. From, from Thessalonica, they went to the city of Berea, and they were much better received there. In fact, the Bible says that the Bereans were more noble. And these Bereans were students of Scripture. And they were hungry to know more and interested in learning more. Their hearts were open. And it looked like that a, that a door had been opened to the Apostle Paul. And that revival's about to break out now in Berea. And so they're starting to see some conversions. And they're starting to see good things happen. And you know, uh, that kind of news started spreading and found its way back to the Thessalonians. And uh, they, they were not happy that Berea was accepting this message. And so they decided, we got to send somebody to Berea and stop all of this. Now, I'm, I, I don't want to get sidetracked. I've got far too uh, much territory to cover this morning, but... I will just throw this out free of charge for you to think about this morning. It just never ceases to amaze me that to those who get something, uh, you know, down south they used to say they got something in their craw. Uh, those, you know, that get some little uh, a burr under their saddle towards towards the church or somebody in the church or, or the pastor seem like they're never satisfied until they stir somebody else up as well. And, 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 and you know, you'd think that the Thessalonians would have just been happy that Paul had moved on, but that wasn't good enough. They had to do what they could do to, to, to destroy Paul and destroy anybody that wanted to listen to him. That's another sermon for another day, but, but it's a fact. And it has gone on as long as there has been a church. It's just a part of it. Amen. So Paul ended up leaving Berea, and he went to Athens. Uh, and that's where our text picks up the story. Now, before I get into the subject at hand, I want to say a couple of things. Uh, as many of you are aware... A few years ago, um, uh, the church was so gracious and, and uh, uh, helped my wife and I to go on a Mediterranean cruise uh, with Pastor and Sister Riley from South Texas. And we didn't realize at the time uh, that uh, what we were really doing uh, in, on that trip was following the footsteps of Paul. Uh, it was not intended that way. The cruise line didn't set it up that way. It was a secular trip. But, but as I started looking at our itinerary, I realized this is exactly what was going on. And, and uh, not so much um, uh, in a linear sense. It wasn't chronological. But we were visiting the cities that he had visited on his missionary journeys. And uh, uh, one of those cities, in fact, we ended the cruise in the city of Athens and got to spend a couple of days there. And I'm just telling you, it gave me a perspective on this particular story that I could not have gotten 
uh, any other way. So let me, let me share some things with you here very quickly because they are pertinent to what I want to say today. First of all, we do want to look at Acts 17 and verse 19. I want to show you where most of this story is taking place. Acts 17 verse 19. And they took him and brought him unto Ariagapa, Ariagapa, yeah, whatever that place saying, is, saying, "May we know what is this new doctrine whereof thou speakest?" Is yeah. So, so they took him to Areopagus, and and uh, Areopagus uh, was called that because it was the place uh, or, or the court in which the era. The Areopagites, they, they were the, the supreme court, the supreme judges of Athens. And, and this Areopagus was called this because that's where this court met. And so this, this place, this, this location was specific. It, it, it was important uh, in so many ways. Uh, it, it was a place where, because the Athenians, as you remember, were interested in new things all the time, uh, it, it, uh, it was a place where things of utmost importance would be brought to, to, to be discussed and considered by the wisest among them so they could hear it out and, and they could pass judgment on what was being said. Now, this Areopagus uh, uh, was a uh is still a hill that is almost directly in the middle of the city of Athens. And, and it is uh, almost entirely a, a mass of stone. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I, um, you know, when, when uh, uh, we were going to go sightseeing, I think our first morning in Athens, we got in a taxi and, and uh, I asked the taxi driver, I said, can you take us to this place. There is another name for it. In fact, let's read Acts 17.22. Gives it another name. Acts 17.22. Then Paul stood in the midst, in the of, midst Mars of Mars Hill. Hill. So, so it, it was also called Mars Hill. And that was more of a Roman name because Mars was the god of war for the Romans. All right. So this was more of a Roman name. Uh, and probably more common by the time the book of Acts was written. So, so we got in that taxi and I asked the driver. I said, could you, could you take me to Mars Hill? And he looked at me and he said, why? It's nothing but a big rock. Well, yeah, to you, it's nothing but a big rock. But to me, it's something far more important. And I want to go there. And he said, well, all right, I can, I can take you. Now, now today they've built some, some metal steps that'll take you to the top. But, but I'm telling you on one side, Brother Goff, there are still the ancient uh, steps that were carved into the side of that rock. The only way up and down from Mars Hill. And, and uh, obviously and evidently Paul walked these very stone steps to get to the top of it. And, and I had the privilege of going up there. Uh, I'm going to tell you when I got up there it, uh, it, it was an interesting sight that I saw. Uh, I will remind you what it was that Paul said. We didn't finish verse 22, did we? Let's, let's, let's read all of verse 22 now. Then Paul stood in the Paul midst, stood of, Mars in the midst of Mars Hill and, said, and he said, Athens, you men of Athens, I perceive, I perceive that, in that in all things, things ye are too you are superstitious. too superstitious. Now, and, and I'm trying to hurry here, but, but the word superstitious, um, if I can say this without 
being disparaging on the translation of my choice. I, I prefer the King James Bible. But, but once in a while, because 400 years have passed, there are words that uh, have changed their, their connotation and their meaning. Is everybody with me? I'm not, I'm not running the King James down. I'm just saying in 400 years, there are words that have changed their meaning from what they were. For instance, the word terrible is used in the King James. And to us, that means really, really bad. But the, the, the King James Bible actually says God is terrible. And it doesn't mean he's a bad God. It means he is full of terror and that we ought to fear him. And so words have changed. And this word superstitious, uh, we look at it, we think we know what that means. You know, people that are superstitious uh, believe Friday the 13th brings bad luck. They, they think you shouldn't walk under ladders and you shouldn't open umbrellas in buildings. And, and uh, you know, if you carry a rabbit's foot, you'll have good luck. Of course, it didn't, it didn't bring much good luck to the rabbit, did it? Uh, but anyhow... Uh, you know, that's the way we think of superstitious. But that's not at all what this word meant. The word, uh, uh, in fact, two words, two superstitious, actually come from one Greek word that, that means more religious. It, it was a term that was very positive. He was saying, I have picked up on the fact that the people of this city are very, very loyal to your beliefs. What you believe, you believe. You're not wanting to abandon the core tenets of your faith. This is something that you have settled on. And, and you are loyal to your beliefs. Now, there were many beliefs in Athens and many gods. And in fact, uh, this is why I was telling you the story. I climbed to the top of Mars Hill. And, and when you are there, uh, even today, as you look across the city of Athens, remember, it's in the middle of the city. And as you look across the city of Athens, you can see all kinds of ancient temples that uh, are still at least partially standing. I'm telling you, everywhere you turn, there are temples to, to false gods. In fact, at one point, if you're standing on one side of Mars Hill looking straight in front of you, then you see the, the, the famous Parthenon uh, that, that uh, many of you have heard of. And, and there are a number of temples there in, in that area of the Parthenon, including the temple uh, uh, to uh, the, the, the Greek goddess Athena for which the city of Athens is named. It's the same goddess that the Ephesians worshipped, but they called her Diana, same goddess. So there's this big, huge temple to Athena and then temples to other gods right there at the top of the Parthenon and you can see it while you're standing on Mars Hill and I'm telling you that as Paul stood in that place and looked around and and this is just what's still standing 2,000 years later you understand and so when Paul looked around he saw all around him uh, there are idols there are temples uh, there are altars uh, everywhere he turned uh, there were people who were worshiping uh, their God and they were very faithful in their form of worship well hallelujah amen and so hopefully that helps you to understand the driving passion behind Paul's message atop Mars Hill amen and in fact this this might help you understand the first verse we read in our text verse 16 says this 
Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit the was spirit stirred in was him. stirred in him when he saw when the, he city, saw was the city was wholly given to idolatry. Amen. This 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 helps you to kind of understand. Amen. That uh, everything in our text uh, was either being said by or to people who were deeply religious highly committed to their beliefs and obviously very very sincere hallelujah the problem of course is that only one person standing at the top of that hill was sincerely right and everybody else was sincerely wrong sincerity does not equal salvation are you with me today amen you can be sincerely wrong well hallelujah so paul when he saw to go back prior to the trip to mars hill when paul saw that the city was wholly given to idolatry he said i got to do something about it and and i'm, I'm going to have to skip through some of this for time's sake brother golf so just try to Follow where I am here, but, but if you've got your Bibles open, this is Bible study time Sunday morning. We're studying the Bible. Hallelujah. We didn't hand out Newsweek magazine this morning. We got Bibles in our pews. We're going to talk about the Bible. Praise God. So Acts 17 verse 17 says that, uh, you know, verse 16 says he saw the city was wholly given to idolatry. Verse 17, Paul did what he was accustomed to doing. He went into the synagogue and started talking to the Jews. Now, Understand, the city's given to idolatry. Uh, Jews are not, idol, uh, not, not idolaters. But this is where he started. This is what he was comfortable with. It's what he knew. So he started by having uh, debates in the synagogue trying to reach the Jews that were in Athens. And then the next thing that this verse says uh, is that uh, he disputed with the devout persons. And, and, and when I got to look it into that, uh, one, one theologian, one scholar said that this was Gentiles that had, uh, they called them proselytes. They had converted to Judaism, but they were still Gentiles. They were following the law, but they were still Gentiles by birth, you understand. And because of that, they weren't allowed in the synagogue. So Paul starts with just the Jews. Then he starts trying to reach those Gentiles that have converted to Judaism. But at some point, he reached out even further. And the Bible says he went into the market daily. Uh, and began to um, dispute with those that met him there. Now, the word market here uh, was actually uh, an area known in the Greek as the Agora. And uh, uh, it, it's, um, I think, many historians, they call it the Forum. And this is what we got to know, that, that their marketplace was not just a Walmart. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a um, uh, Hy-Vee, you understand. But their marketplace was an open market where people had booths and tables set up. And, but, but it was also a place where debates and discussions took place. And many philosophers would gather in the marketplace. And this is where they would hold their discussions. And this is where they would, would argue with one another about the various points of view. So Paul started with the Jews. He moved on to the Gentile proselytes. And then he starts dealing in the marketplace with, uh, with just just. The those idolaters that are there, the philosophers, the men of learning and education. 
And it was there, it was there that uh, the Bible says that they encountered him in verse 18. And I don't have time to talk about who the Epicureans and the Stoics were. It doesn't really matter. It's not, not relevant to what I'm trying to get to today. But, but uh, just different, different uh, ideas, different folks. But the Bible says that they encountered him. And this word encountered means confronted or disputed with him. Uh, there's no way to really know the depth of the meaning. It's a generic term. It could be anything from just having a discussion with to verbally attacking. But it seems like it was more of a verbal attack because they encountered him and some were saying he's a babbler. And others were saying he's bringing in strange gods. And this was what led the people to drag him up Mars Hill and take him to the judges. Hallelujah. His message was different than anything they had heard before. Now, they believed in many gods, and they believed that throughout history, some of those gods had come down to earth. They believed that some of those gods had been killed in battle, but they'd never heard of a god that had come to the earth, had been put to death, but then resurrected from the dead and is still alive today. This was something new to them. This was a philosophy. This was a doctrine that they had never encountered before. And so they said, you know, we need to know more about this. So let's read verses 19 to 21. And I want you to pay attention to how this is laid out in these three verses here. Verse 19, read. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying... May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speaketh is. All right, so, so look at this. First of all, it's just a simple request. Please tell us, what is this doctrine you're teaching? It sounds simple enough. Sounds, sounds uh, uh, harmless enough. All right, but then they offered their explanation as to why they wanted to hear it. Here's what they said, verse 20. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears... We would know thereof what these things mean. So, so they said, this is really strange to us. And, and we really would like to know what this is all about. Now that's, that's their way of, again, a nice approach trying to kind of, you know, win Paul over and bring him into the fold and, and not just be too confrontational here. But verse 21, Luke, who's the author of Acts, tells us what really was going on here. Verse 21. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So, so here Luke tells us that the real motive behind this was not really so much that they just wanted to know what he was teaching, but it was because they had this desire, this craving uh, to always talk about or listen to something new. Now, the, this, this, this phrase, some new thing, in the original actually means something newer, or as the Amplified puts it, something newer than the last. So whatever you bring to me, I want to go find somebody else that's got something even newer than that. And then I want to find somebody else that's got something that's, that's, that's later off the presses than that. I, I don't want to get stuck in the past here. 
Hallelujah. Stay with me. I'm starting to get to where I want to go right now. Amen. Hallelujah. This, this new thing uh, means something fresh. It means something recent, something novel, something unprecedented. Now remember, these are not religious tumbleweeds. Uh, these are not people jumping from one denomination to the next. Uh, they were committed to their religions. Uh, they were devoted to their gods. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, when they said, we want to hear some new thing, uh, I believe what they were saying was uh, here's what we want we want to stay in our religion but we'd like a fresh approach to it we'd like to know a new way to stay relevant to, to today's society we don't want to look like a bunch of old fogies in the way we present the gods that we serve we, we're not interested in being stuck in the past we got to move with the times we got to change with the seasons we, we, we gotta we gotta learn some new presentation that we can use, amen, to, to maintain our crowds. We want, we don't want to abandon our core doctrines. We just want to make them more palatable or more acceptable to the upcoming generations. Now, I find it interesting that in spite of this evident desire for relativism, the Apostle Paul just went back and planted his feet firmly on the, on the foundations of truth. Read verse 23. This is his response to them. For as I passed by, as I, passed by and beheld I beheld your devotions, your devotions. I, found I found an altar, an altar with, this with this description to, to the, the unknown God. God. Now listen to what he says. Whom therefore, Whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him declare I Him declare. You. Now listen, here's what he said. He said this whole idea of taking the God who created the heavens and the earth and trying to change him into something modern. He said that's ignorant. That's ignorant. Or literally what it really means is you don't even know what you're doing. You can't take that God that is timeless. That God that was here before the world's existed. And start trying to mold him into a way that he's going to fit into the latest times. And the latest fads. And the latest fashions. Oh, I wish somebody would help me this morning. Amen. Paul said, I'm here to declare to you a God that is timeless. He is relevant to every generation he is relevant to everybody we don't have to adjust our presentation oh I feel like preaching a little bit here today hallelujah amen read on verse 25 oh wait we didn't verse 24 I'm sorry read 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 God that hath made the world this and is all the God that made therein. the world he made everything in it seeing that he is lord of heaven and earth he's lord of heaven and earth Dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Yeah, 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 read. Neither is worship with all men's, with men's hands. Yeah. As though he so needeth he needs anything, anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. He said, look around. And every one of these gods you're worshiping, you had to fashion them out of stone. You had to carve them out of marble. They, they needed you to give them an identity. But he said, I'm here to preach to you a God who doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your assistance. He is self-sufficient. He's the one who sustains us in everything. He's the one that gives us life and breath and all things. 
Read verse 26. I'm trying to hurry through this. Read. And hath made of, and one, made blood of one blood all nations of men for to dwell. Now, now, this has nothing to do with today's message, but I'm just going to just throw this in absolutely free of charge. I do wish we'd quit talking. I, I'm about to get myself in trouble, but I'm going to tell you, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God made everybody out of one blood. I don't care the color of your skin. I'm here to proclaim, amen, that everybody's got the same blood. My brothers and sisters today, I'm here to tell you, I don't care. I don't care the color, amen, of the outside. We all descended from the same man. And I know you're thinking Adam, but we got a closer relative than that. We got Noah because not all of Adam's descendants survived, but Noah did. And I'm telling you, every one of us, amen, are a descendant of Noah. I don't care what you look like. I don't care, amen, the color of your skin. He made everybody out of one blood. It's time we quit treating people differently because of the color of their skin. It's time we forget about all of that. We are all of one blood. Oh, I gotta hurry, gotta hurry, gotta hurry. That's just 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 that's just an offering this morning, praise God. All right, so so he, he made of, of one blood all nations for men to dwell on all the face of the earth. Read. And hath determined the, times, determined before the appointed times before appointed and the bounds, the bounds of, their habitation. of their habitation. Hallelujah. Amen. And then he goes on, read verse 27. That they should seek the Lord. That they should seek the Lord. That they should seek the Lord. Listen, this is important. The Athenians were seeking newer things. The Athenians were seeking new paths. The Athenians were were seeking new methods. The, The Athenians were seeking new revelations. But Paul said, here's what we ought to be seeking. We ought to go back and seek the Lord. That's the one we ought to be focused on. And he hasn't changed. I'm here to tell you. He said, I am the Lord and I change not. The writer of Hebrews said, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday. Come on, somebody. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. God is not evolving. Nor is he a chameleon that changes colors based on his environment. Well, hallelujah. We need to be seeking the Lord. If haply they might feel after him. And find him. And find him. Though he be not he far be not from every far one of us. From every one of us. Even in the midst of all this idolatry, I'm going to tell you, he's close enough right now. If you'll speak his name, he's here to help you. Amen. If you'll forget all this other stuff, I want to declare to you a God that's close enough. He'll come into your situation right where you are. No matter how dark the night, no matter how difficult the problem, he is near every one of us oh hallelujah so he says in verse 28 for in him we live and move we we have our being as certain also of your poets own poets have said yeah 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 yeah. we are also of his offspring yeah for, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, yeah. graven by art and man's device. Hallelujah. Oh, God, help me, help me, help me. All right, read on. Verse 30. 
And the times of this ignorance God winked at yeah. and now commanded all now, men everywhere now, now, to repent. And this is what I want you to see. Amen. Here are people that are looking for some new thing. Here are people that's wanting to know how can we make the, the message more relevant. Here are people that's wanting to know how can we wrap this message up in a brand new package and make it more palatable to today's generation. And Paul said, I'm going to tell you what we got to do. We got to declare the same message that's been declared from the beginning. Amen. Before there was a church there was John the Baptist and his message was repent or perish and Paul said when Jesus came on the scene he preached repent or perish and I'm not going to wrap it up in anything new I'm not going to try to modify it I'm not going to try to modernize it I'm going to preach to you exactly what's been preached from the start you got to repent oh help me Jesus why, Paul? Because he has appointed a day in which he will, will judge the world in righteousness. There's coming a day. By that man whom he hath ordained. There's coming a day of judgment. I'm going to tell you. Amen. This is what he's saying. It's repent or perish. If you don't repent, you're going to face God in the judgment. And this, I, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't mean anything to you, but, but boy, when I got to reading this, I realized here's this group. Begging for relativism. And Paul says, I'm just going to take you back to what we've always been. I'm not changing one iota. I'm not modifying the message. Well, I'm not changing it. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. So, so here we are today. We're gathered here for a baby dedication. And, 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 and again, I know some of you are probably wondering what this has to do with baby dedication. Just hang on a little while longer, all right? Just give me just a few more minutes here. Amen. Uh, before, I, before I try to, to get into that, let me, let me just say this is, you know, this has been eating at me for some time. Here we are, here we are in the age of, of coronavirus. And we're hearing these experts. Now, if you don't know, it's dangerous to listen to experts. Grammatically, or etymologically, I guess I should say, you, you take the word expert, and the prefix is ex. That means used to be, or has been. And the rest of that is spurt, which is a big drip. So that's what your experts are. They're has-beens and big drips. Now, that's not, that's not good etymology anyhow. That's, take it for what it's, that's the way some people interpret scriptures. <laughs> but, but here we are in the age of all these experts who one week tell us masks are bad. And the next week say, oh, if you don't have one, you're going to die. And one week they tell us, you need to take this. And then the next week they say, if you take this, you're going to die. They don't know. They have no idea. And, and, you know, somebody asked me, somebody sent me a text last night, a preacher in another state. And he said, when you got coronavirus, he said, what, what, what was it like? What were, the, what were the early symptoms? He said, I, my son-in-law is having a few symptoms. And I said, brother, look. I can tell you what our symptoms were, but it's meaningless to do that. 
because everybody I talked to had something different. And, and uh, you know, most people that I've heard from had, had fever for several days. I never did get a fever. And, and my wife got one just, I don't know, maybe one day or it wasn't long. It wasn't, it wasn't an extended period. But, but uh, and then we had, we had severe headaches and several others did too. But then there were some that said never had a headache. And then a number, a number of people said, well, we lost our t- sense of taste and smell. And, and I never lost either one, obviously. And, and so I said, what good is it going to do for me to tell you what my symptoms were? Because it seems like it's different for everybody. And that's the reason why there are no experts. They don't have a clue. But yet, so many of them are telling us, you might as well get used to wearing your mask now. I've actually, I've actually read heard where some were saying this is probably the way it's going to be from now on this social distancing is is they say the new normal things will never go back to the way they were and i'm hearing more and more experts tell us you're just going to have to abandon the way things used to be forget the past and accept what we're telling you now because this is the new normal I'm not going to get into all of that, though I know some of you would probably back me up more if I did than me talking about what I'm talking about today. But I think we're all about fed up with Rona and, uh, uh, and experts. I think the experts are the worst virus out there. Anyhow, all right, see, some of you are amen at me now, and you didn't, the first peep I got out of you. So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So, so anyhow, it's just, it's been eating at me that, that they're telling us now that life as we know it has changed, that everything has altered, and the way society has been for hundreds, yea, thousands of years is absolutely meaningless now because of a virus that has a 0.1% death rate. It has changed, Brother Chad, the face of the world. And we have to just forget everything we've ever known and accept the new normal. Now, I'm not going to deal with with the politics. I'm not going to even deal with the the medical side of it. But I'm just going to tell you, something hit me Yesterday morning early when I got to thinking about that whole phrase, new normal. And I thought, you know what? That idea and that concept has been around long before coronavirus. There was a spirit that has tried to make inroads into the church, Brother Mays. And we've watched certain among us rise to the top and then start proclaiming. You know, we don't have to follow those old ways. There's a new normal, Brother Goff. 
There's a new normal for the church now. Things have changed. This is a different world. This is a different society. We've got a different generation. And that spirit has been telling us that the way the apostolic church has always done things no longer applies. And that we've got to abandon what we've always considered normal and now adopt some new thing for the church. But I'm here today to rise in total opposition of any proposition that suggests the church needs a new normal. No thank you. I'm not interested in a new normal. I'm going to go back to the way it's always been. I'm going to go back to the way it started. That's the way I'm going to follow. That's the way I'm going to live. Oh, hallelujah. I am here in defense of the old normal into which the church was born. The old normal that carried the early church through intense persecution. The old normal that brought us from the brush arbors uh, to our beautiful auditoriums. Uh, amen. And herein lies uh, the connection to a baby dedication. Uh, I want to tell you, I don't want to see Ollie or anyone else uh, grow up in a Pentecost uh, that has accepted a new normal. I'm saying it's time that parents make up their minds. I'm going to make sure my kids inherit the same Pentecost that's always been around. I'm not interested in adapting to the times. Oh, I feel like preaching. Hallelujah. Praise God. And I got time to do it too. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I want, I want every succeeding generation from now until the rapture of the church to know the same church that was birthed in the book of Acts. Listen to me, listen to me. I'm not here to be offensive to anybody. I just felt this so strong yesterday and I know this is going out over the internet and I don't know who all's listening and I'm not here, amen, to try to, to point fingers at anybody. I'm just preaching to the truth, church, all right? I'm just preaching to this assembly right now. I, I'm just trying to declare my burden as a pastor right now, amen. The new normal that is being promoted by many churches today is that holiness standards uh, are outdated. We don't have to dress that way. We misunderstood the scriptures. Our forefathers didn't have an education to really interpret what the Bible said. That's the new normal they say. Our sanctuaries need to be dimly lit with special colored lighting so they look more like a nightclub than they do a church. Is anybody going to help me preach for a little while? Amen. They tell us the new normal is that our music ought to be filled with minor chords syncopated beats electronic sounds so it sounds more like modern rock or rap amen they tell us amen that the doctrinal hymns and spiritual songs need to be replaced with catchy phrases constant repetition and words generic enough to be sung in just about any venue I'm preaching today amen the new normal they tell us is that running the aisles makes us look ridiculous dancing should just be a my 
child swaying to the beat or a neat hop in place during which time you maintain total control. Amen. The new normal, they say, is that sermons should never be too deep, too confrontational, too convicting. They should always be short and sweet and filled with self-help in order to remain relevant. Amen. They say that the new normal is to help people accept their addictions and their emotional baggage through the use of psychology and philosophy. They tell us in the new normal, we got to get rid of the pulpit, pull up a bar stool, Get rid of our suit, uh, dress in jeans, uh, and just talk to the people. Ah, I'm telling the truth today. They're telling us uh, that the new normal, uh, amen, is we really can't have a move of the spirit anymore. Amen. We need intellectual and emotional motivation. Uh, they tell us, uh, amen, we should quit preaching Acts 2.38. Uh, amen. Don't tell somebody you got to repent uh, and be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the Holy Ghost. Just let them accept Christ. Uh, just let them believe on the Lord and everything's all right. That's what they say is the new normal. They tell us the new normal is that we should adjust our doctrinal statements, especially on our websites, and water down the message of the oneness and make it generic enough that anybody can accept it. Well, I'm here to tell you, if that's the new normal, I'm going to remain abnormal. I can't speak for any other church or any other pastor or any other people. But as for me and my house and the truth church, we reject the new normal. We're going to continue to adhere to the old normal. Amen. And here's the old normal. It's still holiness or hell. Our sanctuary is going to continue to look like a sanctuary, a place of safety for a world that's in danger. Our music, amen, is going to sound, amen, like the chords of heaven that will usher us into the throne room of God. Our doctrinal hymns, our spiritual songs are going to remain a focal point of our worship services. And listen to me, we're going to keep on running the aisles. We're going to keep on dancing. We're going to do it without restraint. We're not holding back. We're not going to try to make it pretty. We're going to jump. We're going to run. We're going to clap. We're going to worship like apostolics have always worshiped. Hallelujah. We're going to do our best to make sure the sermons that come across this pulpit are deep. And let me just warn you now, there are times they're going to be confrontational. There are times they're going to be convicting. But they're never going to be based simply on a desire to remain relevant to the world's changing perceptions. Well, praise God, we're not going to tell people that they need psychology and sociology, but we're going to help them be delivered, amen, from their addictions and healed of their emotional baggage through the power of preaching and prayer and praise. Would somebody help me here today? Amen. I'm going to tell you, not only are we going to retain this pulpit, we're keeping our altars around here, amen, and we're going to do our best to make them the most important furnishings in the church.
will never stop preaching. Acts 2.38, John 3 and 5. I'm here to tell you, we're never going to quit telling people there's only one way to be saved. Repent of your sin. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues. And we're going to continue to declare there's only one God. And his name is Jesus. My message today is a rectification, amen, of the people's negative response to God's appeal through the prophet Jeremiah. Here's what it said. Jeremiah 6.16, read. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Stand ye in the way. Stand in the way. And see. And, see, and, ask, for and ask for the old paths. Where is the, where good, is the way? good way? And, and walk, walk therein. therein. And, and that's where you're going to find rest for your, for your souls. But that people said. But they said. We, said, we, yeah, will, not we will not walk therein. therein. But I want you to know God. Here's a people that's saying today. You can count on us. That's exactly what we want. That's exactly what we're looking for. We want to find the old paths we want to find the good way we want to find what worked for our forefathers hallelujah the amplified bible reads this way thus says the lord stand by the roads and look and ask for the eternal paths where the good old way is then walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. Hallelujah. The common English version says, the Lord said, my people, when you stood at the crossroads, I told you, follow the road your ancestors took and you'll find peace. Amen. Another translation says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask which paths are the old, reliable paths. Ask which way leads to blessings. Live that way and find a resting place for yourselves. I want to tell you, for the sake of the upcoming generations as well as the current generations. I reject the new normal that the world is trying to foist upon the church. I stand against the concept that we've got to become relevant and we've got to morph into something we've never known and never tried. I'll tell you what they're doing. I'll tell you what they're doing. Brother Nelson, what they're doing is the same thing Saul tried to do to David on the battlefield when he said, here, take this armor. And David said, can't do it. Why? It hadn't been tried. But I'll tell you what is tried. <laughs> I don't need all this stuff. I don't need all these extras. I know, Saul, that's the way your carnal mind thinks. I know that looking at that giant, you believe that's the only way that we're ever going to get anything done. But I'm here to proclaim to you, I haven't tried that. It hadn't been proven. But I know what has been tried and proven, and that's the name of the Lord. So I'll take that, thank you very much. I'll just stand with the one thing that has been proven, and I'll watch God bring that giant down while you hide. You've got your armor, and you're still afraid of him. But I've got something I've tried, and and I've proven and it's worked and I'll go out there and David ran see when you got something that you know works there's no hesitance 
Well, hallelujah. Oh, help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Parents, grandparents, those who someday hope to be parents, those who have any contact or impact with upcoming generations, let me implore you today to give that next generation an old-time Pentecost instead of a new normal. Teach them to love God. Teach them to love the house of God. Teach them to love the things of God. Teach them to love the people of God. Teach them to love the man of God. Teach them to love the word of God. Teach them to love the spirit of God. Don't be satisfied with mediocre church services. I'm going to tell you, we don't want the next generation to be satisfied. Amen. With a new normal. I'm trying to close. I'm trying to close. Musicians, you can come. I got one more verse of scripture. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Most of us know it, could quote it, but uh, I want to talk to you about it. Proverbs 26. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, there's a lot we could say about this verse. I read, man, he actually, actually is an attorney. He's not even a preacher. He's an attorney. Uh, considers himself a Christian man. He, uh, he did some digging into the original Hebrew and the concept behind this particular verse. And he, he said something very interesting about it. He said this phrase, train up a child. He said... When you look at the actual wording, the Hebrew wording, what it actually says is touch the palate of a child. He said the idea was this. Hebrew moms in ancient times, before there were machines that could crush food, ground it up, before there was a Gerber baby food company and when moms got ready to start feeding their infants solid foods don't get grossed out by this this is just the way it worked she would take that solid food and she would chew it up just as fine as she could get it and then she'd take a small piece of that put it on her finger and reach back into the back of that infant's mouth and touch his palate with the food she wanted to introduce to him. And she created in that child an appetite for that food by touching his palate. And this attorney said, that's what this verse is really saying to us. That whatever we create an appetite for in our kids is what they will want to eat. 
even when they're old. And I'm going to tell you, saints of God, if we accept the new normal, we're wetting the appetite of the next generation, and that's all they're going to be hungry for. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to settle for that. I am not going to settle. I am not going to settle for anything less than the Pentecost that was handed to me. And I want to do my best, amen, not just to children and teenagers, but everybody that walks in, everybody that sits on the pew. I want to somehow get a hold of something spiritually and touch their palate, amen, where when they go to a dead, dull, boring church service, they say, man, this just doesn't taste good. This just doesn't satisfy I'm just not happy eating this. I know where I can get something good. You know what's happened? Somebody touched their palate. Somebody wet their appetite. Somebody created in them a hunger for the things of God. That's what you got to do, brother self. That's the way Ollie's going to make it in the days to come. Wet his appetite. Get him in those prayer meetings at home. Amen. Worship with him. Amen. Run the aisles with him in your arms. Do what you can. Wet his appetite for the old time Pentecost. Let's stand, let's stand, let's stand.